Well, hello. Hi, how's it going? Good. I can't believe we're starting book five already. I know. It's season five, book five. I, Wild. I'm shooketh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it seems like just yesterday we were beginning with book one. I, it really does. Yeah. How are you? How are, how are you enjoying the series? Oh, I'm loving it. Obviously. I was telling Davey, like, it makes me so proud to be really following through with the series because I'm often the one who, like, falls off after, like, a couple books. Oh, yeah. And then just keeps reading the first two or three books with the intention (laughs) of finishing it out and never doing it. So to get to book five is a record for me, for sure. Yeah. And I'm 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 loving it. Good. Um, How are you enjoying your rereads? Your closer reads? I love it, as always, yeah. still. I only have one very fast, random thing mm-hmm. to share. Mm-hmm. I was just on the internet the other day and came across like one of those like BuzzFeed list things of like celebrities who look just like their dads. Oh, okay. And A, there's a lot. Like, uh, gosh, some of them were like truly eerie. But <laughs> oh, Ryan Phillippe and his son look so much like oh, really? it's wild but i until i saw that list i had no idea that ben stiller was related to jerry stiller and i know have we talked about this before no we've talked about jerry stiller strangely enough but no i had no idea that they were that that was his dad oh yeah i mean they've looked very much alike and they sound like i Yes. Not always. I mean, Jerry Stiller has a very specific voice, but in Ben Stiller and some of his like more um, explosive roles, I guess he has yeah. just the same kind of affect. Well, I mean, in my defense, I think Ben Stiller is one of the worst uh, so actors <laughs> and people who has ever done anything. So wow. I actively avoid him. Wow, I like Ben Stiller. I admit that a lot of his movies are trash. And yeah. he's one of those. He's one of those people who I think is guilty of just playing himself in like a hundred movies. Yeah. Um, I just happen to like those movies more than <laughs> some more than of the I other. do. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't have much. I have. We finished Ms. Marvel the other day. Oh, I still haven't even started it. I highly recommend it. I think it was great. Um, yeah, I think it was great. I really enjoyed it a lot. Mm-hmm. Of like the Marvel like series and stuff like that. I. It's the, definitely my favorite one I've seen. Okay. And Interesting. Yeah, really enjoyed it. And my one complaint is most of the graphics, special effects are really good. Uh-huh. And then the second to last episode has, like, these two moments where they try to, like, show, like, the way somebody, like, dies or whatever. Uh-huh. And it's just so corny. I'm like, wow, oh, that, you had all this time. And then this yeah. is what you – anyway, this is where mm-hmm. you uh, definitely scrimped on the budget, I think. Um, Interesting. Otherwise, it was great. And as I said in the other podcast, we started watching The Boys on Amazon Prime. Yes. And I am just a huge fan already. It's yeah, very intense, very graphic, uh, jarring scenes, but yeah, for sure, really cool concept. And I am loving it so far. So highly recommend if you're into superhero things and like if you don't mind some graphic uh, depictions of violence and such. 
Yeah. That's it. Well, great. Um, well, should we start with the fifth book then? We should. It's going to okay. be a, a slightly supersized episode, I think. Okay. Well, well see. mine, if it's too long, we can just do my prologue and do yours next week. Okay. So the this book, I think, is the first to have a prologue chapter. Is that right? I don't know. Didn't didn't the Dark Friends Social, wasn't that a prologue? Ooh, maybe it was. Oh, book three had a prologue. I'm a liar. You're right. Hey. Okay. <laughs> and by the way, as I was reading, I was like, "What? Did, why are some books started with a prologue, like, as opposed to just calling it chapter one? I and f- I didn't know that, like, prologues like there's a there is a difference with a prologue chapter versus an actual chapter Mm -hmm. a prologue is meant to kind of like introduce or reintroduce the main conflicts of the series to the reader so it's kind of like a last time on charmed kind of vibe (laughs) yeah i always felt like the prologue is a way that i think writers are able to insert things into the story that are important that they yeah. couldn't just, like, find a way to organically fit into the chapters. Yeah. That's my yeah, yeah, yeah. my vibe. <laughs> well, this prologue is called The First Sparks Fall, and it opens with Elida, who I think probably, even though I, I think she's awful as a person, I think she might have my favorite name in the series. I do like the name Elida quite a bit. And I think part, well, I think her whole name, really. And I think it's just because there's like four parts to her name, and I think it's fun. <laughs> okay. Anyway, she is stewing and, and like, internally furious. Uh, remember last, <laughs> my note literally says, previously on the Wheel of Time, uh, <laughs> remember that Elijah, Elida stayed, staged a coup in the White Tower and had Swansange uh, deposed and stilled. Mm-hmm. Can't forget it. Yeah. And Elida is pissed because she's kind of just being overlooked or ignored by the other women in the room who are other Aes Sedai. And they're kind of like seated on stools in front of her desk. They're in the Amarillo's study discussing the affairs of the world. And Danelle, who is a uh, brown Aja sister, reports that there's conflict in the borderlands. Uh, but ironically, this time it's kind of infighting. She says there's infighting in Shi'anar, which is uncommon because Shi'anarans are usually like really united against the, you know, blight, defending the world against the blight. So... They're, they're thinking it's very strange that they're fighting amongst each other. Mm-hmm. But they're like, well, it's better time than most because apparently all, all reports are saying that the Blight is really quiet. There haven't been any Trolloc attacks. So if they're going to attack each other, now is better than ever. Uh, we learned that the Marshal General of Saldea, Davram Bashir, uh, who is Fayil's dad... We knew that, right? Oh, we did. I didn't put the connection together, though. Okay. This this chapter, this prologue, had a lot of um, scene setting in different locales, as, we're, uh-huh. as you're saying, like, oh, here there's this happening, and here this, this is happening. And a lot of the names that were coming up, I was like, should I, should I know who these people are yet? Yeah. So that, yeah, that makes sense. Yes. Mm. Davram Bashir. And his army of uh, Saldea is on the move. And they think it's likely because word of Mazarum can't be tamed. His escape has like leaked out into the world. And 
Bashir and Queen Tenobia think that the White Tower isn't capable of dealing with it on their own. Mm-hmm. And they talk about redoubling their efforts to capture Tame and send an Aes Sedai to counsel Queen Tenobia. Somebody also talks about sending another Aes Sedai to, to Shi'anar to kind of counsel them and, and deal with whatever this conflict is. But Alvierin says, like, surely there's agents of the Red Aja up there who can warn us if there's any infighting that we need to worry about. And this kind of, like, causes the Red Sisters in the room to squirm because we learn that sort of the the network of informants of each Aja is kind of like a, a close guarded secret. And so they don't like it when other people talk about their their networks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we kind of just get a little subplot that the uh, yellow Aja's network is supposed to be like really pitiful because I said I basically have this opinion that's like, what could we possibly learn about healing from anybody other than Aes Sedai. Yeah, yeah. Which is very... Um, Narrow-minded. <laughs> Narrow-minded, Short-sided. yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> even if, even if uh, you don't think you can learn anything, it would probably be handy to know if, like, plagues broke out or things like that. So, so these sisters in the Amerlin study are making decisions without consulting Elida, which does not go over well with Elida because we know that she's a self-aggrandizing asshole who <laughs> needs to <laughs> believe that she's the most important person in the room. Mm-hmm. They recap what happened in the last book in Eridamon and Terabon and the missing Panarch Amethera um, and how like basically everybody in uh, those lands is kind of like poor and starving and there's a rumor that an Aes Sedai was involved in Amethera's disappearance, which we know is half true, um, because, you know, Elaine and Nynaeve were involved in it. Right. But it's kind of, yet again, I think RJ always likes to open the books with kind of reminding us how rumor and, like, half-truth and gossip spread and kind of take shape in different ways. Yeah, I love that. So it's only been two months since Elida has been raised to Amerlin, but she's kind of already being sort of edged out of significance, she feels, because the women in the room were the ones that had, you know, voted to have Swan deposed and have her raised to Amerlin. And she knows that, like, they kind of had the power in that moment, and it was sort of a shady power grab. And so she thinks that they are you know, sort of reaching above their station in not showing her the due deference that she thinks she should be showed. Which I was surprised by. Yeah, yeah. But it makes I sense mean, it's, now in this context, now that we're getting to know some of these Aes Sedai, especially in this chapter. Yes. But I was like, wow, I thought everyone would have been, like, under her thumb, like... Yeah. Yeah. Well... We get a moment of description of how Elida's influence has kind of changed the furnishings and decorations of the Amerlin study, because gone is the simple furniture of Swan. Uh, Elida, based on my read, has like very austere, but very ornamental taste. Mm. She's got like a, a plinth with a vase of red roses that are cultivated with the one power. Um, there's a chair that she's sitting in which is essentially like a throne that uh, kind of has above her head an ivory flame of Tarvalon. so it's very like uh 
this is very my vibe, not mine personally, very like Elida's vibe, very kind of stern and severe in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah, I, I like that. That's how she would be on like a HGTV show. I'm looking yes. for something austere, but ornamental. She would be the opposite of Hildy. <laughs> oh my God, forget it. <laughs> so Andaya, who is one of the other Aes Sedai present, asks if there's been any news of Elaine and her whereabouts because... They're like, well, it's probably not a great thing if news that we lost the daughter heir of Andor uh, gets out there, because uh, more gays will be very upset and shit will go down. And apparently Galad seems to have vanished as well, uh, presumably during the kind of tower conflict. So they've really lost uh, two children of Morghese's. Mm-hmm. They've heard very little of use about either of them, apparently, but they have <laughs> they have a red sister stationed at the palace of Andor who's, like, newly raised, who's uh, spying on Morghese for them. And because she's been newly raised, she doesn't yet have the age- ageless look of an Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. Which I'm trying to remember, is that the kind of first time we learn that? That, like, sort of, like, length of time of channeling is what causes some of that ageless look no i I didn't know that all right well now we know (laughs) so we learned that this i this aes Sedai who's stationed at the uh, palace in camelin has told them that morghese is trying to take the throne of carrion as well kyrian as well um because remember tom killed the king and carrion has essentially been in civil war since yeah i want to say book three yeah does that sound right yeah definitely okay um but they've managed to trick Morghese into you know thinking elaine is just fine because they have somebody a secretary who can kind of forge elaine's hand such bullshit (laughs) yep yep (laughs) and we learn that gowan is still near the tower gowan is elaine's brother Mm -hmm. um Though he's kind of like there and not, but not really under their control. He's essentially got a group of young soldiers calling themselves the younglings who are periodically getting into skirmishes with white cloaks in the surrounding country. So mm-hmm. he's there. He was, you know, stood for Elida during the revolt, but is not really under their control. So Elida really doesn't have control over anything. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, she's just kind of in the room. <laughs> Yes. Speaking of White Cloaks, we learn that Pedra Nile, who is the leader of the White Cloaks, is apparently doing some political scheming, trying to convince Altera and Murundi to cede land to Ilion so that uh, the Council of Nine of Ilion is, like, appeased and doesn't uh, invade either and cause a war. Um, Elida ruminates on how the tower had you know essentially had all of the rulers of the world under their influence but they're kind of slowly losing their control over everything um elida so coming back to the decorations in her room uh her study we learn that there are two pieces of art hung on the wall one of which is a triptych that tells the story of the last red aja to sit on the amerlin seat her name was Bonwin, um, which I, I don't know why I love that name. I think that's fun. I like it too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bonwin, however, is not remembered fondly. She was Amerlin during Artur Hawkwing's Siege of Tarvalon. And essentially she had 
been deposed as Amerlin for her incompetence over handling Arthur Hawkwing. And that was, you know, more than a thousand years ago, and there has not been a red Aja Amerlin since. So Elida is the first in a thousand years. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of hung it up there as a reminder of the price of failure. And it's interesting to me. I don't, there was something that was very self-centered about that. Like the, that I, to me, it seems like Elida has this perspective that if she fails as Amerlin, it's about herself and not the impact that a failure of the Amerlin seat would have. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like the price of failure, she's only thinking about it for herself. Right. It feels like to me. Like how she would be perceived and like what exactly. she would have to lose. Yes, And how she'd be remembered and all that, yeah. Yeah. So the other painting is a stretched canvas with a copy of an artist's sketch from the West, and it is depicting the big sword fight in the clouds that Rand had with Baalzaman at the end of book two. That's a callback. I know, right? (laughs) So the sisters are wrapping up their conversation, starting to leave, and Elida is like, have I given you leave to leave? Have I given you leave to go? And they all look surprised, which kind of pisses her off even more. Mm -hmm. And so they start to awkwardly sit down and she's like, well, since you're standing, remain standing. And they are kind of like awkwardly like, okay. (laughs) Um, And she's like, none of you have given any news of the search for that woman who we know is Swan, but she refuses to speak her name. Patty. Which is very, yeah. Uh, and Alvierna is like, well, searching for her is hard because we have spread word that she was executed. So asking where she is when we're telling everybody she's dead, it's hard. It's hard. It makes it hard. <laughs> and Jolene, who I forgot, we, I, we haven't heard the name Jolene I for know. a couple books. <laughs> she is apparently the one who was put in charge of that search. And Elida gives her some penance for her lack of progress in finding Swan. And then she asks about the return of any sisters who fled the tower during the coup, which we know includes all of the blue Aja. And Elijah thinks, or uh, Elida thinks to herself that she might never be able to trust a blue Aja again. Hmm. Javindra, which is another name that I love, uh, is, has been tasked with overseeing the return of these sisters who left during the coup And she also has not made enough progress to satisfy Elida. So she orders penance for her as well and has threatens to remove her as a sitter for the Red Aja. She starts to talk about Rand and the sisters like are avoiding eye contact and uncomfortable talking about a man who can channel. And (laughs) did you watch SpongeBob very much? Uh, The early years. Yeah. Okay. There's an episode, I'm going to back up from the mic when I do this so that it's not too loud, but there's an episode where Patrick is showing something to SpongeBob, and I can't remember what it is, but he goes, look at it, look at it, look at it. (laughs) And it just really reminds me of this moment because she's like, look at this painting of Rand. (laughs) Do you love that I made a SpongeBob reference? I do, I love it. (laughs) Um, And she's like, he's the dragon reborn. Uh, He is responsible for so much of the turmoil in the world. Uh, He's about to cause a civil war, or about to cause a war in Carrion um, between Andor and Ilion, and 
She's like reminding herself in this moment that she once had Rand like literally in her grasp and she is so upset that she didn't know what he was, unlike Swan, who had apparently admitted under torture that she knew about Rand, of course. Yeah, I forgot until that part of this chapter that Swan basically told them everything during torture. Yeah, I mean, she says she held back little scraps, but yeah. Yeah. Um. Elida says, you know, he is the Dragon Reborn, and uh, Shemarin, who is uh, an Aes Sedai of the Yellow Aja, kind of, like, drops to the floor uh, in sort of shock and, you know, gets a case of the vapors. <laughs> and this it frustrates Elida. She thinks that she is lacking the composure expected of an Aes Sedai, and so she thinks to herself that something must be done about Shemarin. Funny, because I was having trouble wondering if I could trust her or not in the earlier chapters. Shemarin? Yeah. Mm. But now I'm like, oh, poor Shemarin. <laughs> so Elida says that, are you sure you're not thinking of Sherium? Oh, is Sherium the one who used to be the, like, the one who was, like, teaching? Mistress of novices. Yeah. Yes. Oh, see, I'm mixing. Oh, this damn book. I know. There's, you told me when we got to the Aes Sedai there were going to be challenges. There are approximately 7,000 Aes Sedai that have names that start with S, so... Brace, brace yourself. Buckle up. Disgusting. <laughs> Continue. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Elida says that, uh, you know, she, we have to get Rand and, you know, bring him under our control. And, uh, you know, that's the most important task that anyone has right now. And she orders them all to present her with a report of everything they have done to make that happen and what they will do and to get it to her by tomorrow morning. And then she dismisses all of them. They're like, I'm right on top of that, Rose. Yeah. <laughs> that, Miles says that all the time. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> so uh, she dismisses them, but Alviaren doesn't leave. And her presence irritates Elida for multiple reasons. Uh, one of which is that she is from the White Aja, not the Red, and it's kind of a constant reminder to her that she didn't have enough influence and power on her own to take the seat, the Amerlin seat, that she needed the support of the White Aja. Mm -hmm. And so they have a staring contest for <laughs> a minute before <laughs> an accepted knocks on the door, who says that Master Fane is there to speak with Elida. Oof. And Fane piques Elida's curiosity because he slips in and out of different accents. His personality varies between meek to commanding. And he walks into the room and we get a POV shift to Fane. Fane is like thinking to himself, he's, he can like feel the tension between Elida and Alvieran. And he's, he loves that because those are like little cracks where he can plant seeds of dissension and conflict. And... Uh, Fane knows the Horn of Valir is in the tower, and he can sense the ruby dagger. And he says he could point to it from any area of the tower. He knows exactly where it is. He can feel it. Mm -hmm. And he is planning to get it back. Elida orders him to tell her everything he knows of Rand Thor, And he basically tells her that Rand is devious. He only cares about his own power. He's never one to do what is expected, uh, which, you know, some of that is true, yes. but he doesn't really care <laughs> about his own power. He would love to be a shepherd. Anyway, 
So he thinks to himself that if Elida manages to bring Randall Thor to him, he might leave her alive when he's done with all of this. Ooh. And then we get another POV shift. And this time we are with the Forsaken Robin. OMG. Is the first time we've seen him on screen, I believe. Yes. And I think the first time we've had a Forsaken POV, right? Um, has Lanfear had one before? Not a whole chapter. I don't think I so. Think. I don't think so. Well then, yeah, definitely. All right. So he is lounging in an armchair and there's, you know, kind of two people in front of him, one of which is a young woman who is, uh, he notes, is wearing simple clothes that he knows to be a disguise. And next to her is a man in a, a red coat. And we learn that the woman is under Robin's control through compulsion. Remember the same thing that Magadian, or Magedian did to um, Nynaeve and Elaine yeah. in uh, Tanchico. I, I said I said her name the way my brain used to say it, Magadian. <laughs> so um, this woman is under his compulsion, and both of them are sweating, which Robin is not. And uh, he says he knows how to keep the weather from affecting him, which we know is a trick that the Aes Sedai know how to do. Um, and we learned that compulsion, as a channeling technique, works really well on some people, Whereas others have a really strong sense of self and their brain kind of like gnaws at the compulsion to return their memories or their self-control. And uh, RJ writes, it was his bad luck that he still had some small need for one such. She could be handled, but she kept trying to find escape without knowing she was trapped. Eventually, that one would no longer be needed, of course. He would have to decide whether to send her on her way or be rid of her more permanently. He orders this woman to leave after she's kind of like finished her report to him and tell, you know, orders her to remember nothing of their conversation, just like um, Getty did with Nynaeve mm-hmm. and Elaine. Uh, and Robin orders Lord Eligar, who is the man in the red jacket who's standing there, uh, who is there also under Robin's control, but not under compulsion because he is a dark friend. Uh, and he orders her to him to escort this woman out. Mm-hmm. As he does, Robin hears a woman's voice next to him that says, one of your play pretties. And he kind of like jumps to his feet and seizes as much of the one power as he can, ready to fight whomever has caught him off guard. And guess who it is? That maniac Lanfear. That maniac Lanfear. <laughs> he asks her, like, what do you mean sneaking up on me? You know that if you want to talk to me, you should send an emissary, and I will decide when we meet or even if. And Lanfear replies, you are always a pig, Robin, but seldom a fool. <laughs> that woman is Aes Sedai. What if they miss her? Do you also send out heralds to announce where you are? <laughs> And Robin kind of like sneers and says that these women who call themselves Aes Sedai today are barely half trained compared to what they used to be. And he tells her she is the tower's spy here. Now she reports exactly what I want her to, and she is eager to do so. Those who serve the chosen in the tower told me right where to find her. So we learn that not only is Robin, so if I don't know how close of attention you were paying to uh, the connecting this scene to the previous scene, but essentially what we learn is that 
this was the Aes Sedai that they were talking about in the previous chapter as uh, being stationed uh, in Andor and that uh, he is feeding specific information to the tower through her. And if he is in Andor, that means he is with Morghese. Mm-hmm. And remember, he was talking just a moment ago about somebody who kind of fights against compulsion, who he's trying to decide if he needs to just get rid of her entirely. Right. Mm. So um, he asks why why Lanfear is there. And she says that, you know, a few of the Chosen are going to be here for a meeting. And she arrived first, so he didn't think it was an attack. And as she's speaking, he feels a man channeling. And a gateway opens up next to him that shows marble arches, stone balconies, and seagulls wheeling and crying in a blue sky. And in walks Samael, who, uh, through description, we learn that he's a short king, and uh, he has a scar across his face from a battle with Luz Theron. Mm-hmm. I like that little, like, you know, the gulls wheeling outside when he walks through the gateway, because... When last we heard of Samael, he was uh, ruling over Ilion, and Perrin and Moraine and uh, Lan were fleeing to avoid his influence. Right. Another gateway opens, this time showing a room full of pools and fluted columns of nearly nude acrobats and attendants wearing even less, and in walks a beautiful, curvaceous woman, uh, and this is Grendel. Mm-hmm. Grendel, spoiler alert, is one of my favorite of the Forsaken. I just really like her character. Mm-hmm. Um, she, I, I, th- and this reminds me, did we ever cast Lanfear? I don't remember. Okay. I couldn't remember if we had either. But Grendel, my two, like, dream castings for Grendel are either Lizzo mm-hmm. or... Um, Nicola Coughlin, who I don't know if you have ever watched Dairy Girls or Bridgerton. Oh, is she, was she a, oh, I don't think you've watched. I was going to ask if she was a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race, one of the international ones. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. I think she was, and it made me look her up because I loved her as a judge. Let me look up her face. What's her name? Nicola? Uh, Coughlin, C-O-U-G-H-L-A-N. Oh yeah, she was on Drag Race UK. Oh my god, she was, yeah, I I only know her from that episode. Uh-huh. She was one of my favorite all-time guest judges on Drag Race. She is a terrific actor, and uh, I think would be perfect for Grendel, so oh. that's my dream casting. Okay, I'm into it. Um, so RJ notes that Grendel is beautiful, but only pretty compared to Lanfear, and he calls her lush and ripe, and... I'm going to attribute all of that to this being Robin's point of view and Robin being a pig because mm-hmm. women should not be talked about like that or compared mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but Grendel, we kind of like get a sense of her vibe. She's very bedecked with jewelry and she's got a crystal goblet and uh, like she's like walking into a cocktail party. It's so funny to me. She's like she walks in and the song It's Expensive to Be Me is playing <laughs> in the background. yes uh so she uh notes that you know this room has nearly half of the surviving chosen or forsaken 
Uh, and at, for once, nobody is trying to kill each other. Mm-hmm. And Robin is like, um, you're speaking very freely in front of your servants, because she has some attendants who walked in with her, um, who are also very beautiful. And she's like, oh, they'll, they don't worry about them. They worship me. And both of them like fall over themselves, professing their love for her before she kind of like frowns and stops them with the one power. Mm-hmm. Um, so we learned that Grendel is using compulsion on these folks and, and Robin kind of through his internal narrative tells us that Grendel has a, um, uh, a habit of accepting only the most beautiful of servants, but also they have to be people of importance. So her favorite thing to do is to take lords or ladies and force them to wait hand or foot on her. Mm. And Robin thinks this is wasteful. He thinks that she has no finesse and that her kind of use of compulsion essentially makes these people mindless shells. Mm Mm-hmm. And Robin asks Lanfear if anyone else is going to be showing up. And, you know, like, did you convince Demondred to stop thinking he's the great lord's heir? And Lanfear says, even Demondred's not that arrogant. Uh, he saw where that took Ishamael. And she says, once we were 13, immortal, now four are dead and one has betrayed us. We four are all who will meet here today and enough. Samael asks if Asmodian really went over to the other side, and she says that when it became a choice between death or a doomed cause, it took little courage for him to choose. And Samael's like, okay, well, if you were close enough to know all of that, why did you leave him alive? And she just says that she's not as quick to kill as he is, and besides, she didn't want to fight a frontal assault against superior forces. And, you know, she's talking about Rand. Mm -hmm. And Robin asks if Rand is really so strong that he could overwhelm Lanfear. And in his internal narrative thinks that, like, not that he couldn't do so or Samael, but if either of them tried, Lanfear and Grendel would likely link and, you know, fight back. Girl power. Girl power. (laughs) Um, RJ writes, for that matter, both women were probably filled to bursting with the one power, with the power right at that moment, ready to strike at the slightest suspicion of either man or of each other. But this farm boy, an untrained shepherd, untrained unless Asmodian was trying. And Lanfear reminds him that Rand is LTT reborn and LTT was as strong as any. And Grendel is like, um, can we get on with it? Like, <laughs> enough. Like, but why are we here? Uh, and she manages to throw a little dig at Lanfear about her being a love-besotted fool for LTT and him being able to lead her around by her nose. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lanfear reminds them that even before Asmodian's teach, uh, training, Rand has taken down four of the Forsaken. And Samael is like, well, good, let him whittle away the dead wood. And lounges super casually and through Robin's internal narrative we learn that uh this is a habit of Samael's to like lure people into thinking he's like casual and calm and uh, essentially lure people into traps thinking that they could take him by surprise mm-hmm. uh Lanfear says to the group you know who who knows which one of us he's going to come after next uh you know Samael maybe it's you 
Uh, after all, you faced Luce there in many times during the War of Power, and you never won, did you? And Dang. to Grendel, saying, even though Rand is reluctant to harm women, he might make an exception for one of the Forsaken, unless he decides to keep her for a little pet like she's so fond of doing. And apparently this dig is enough to worry Robin that Grendel and Lanfear might be about to duke it out with the One Power. And so he prepares to shield himself against it and senses... So this interaction between Robin and Samael, I actually asked people on our Discord about because it it never quite made sense to me, but now it does. He senses Samael about to attack because he he thinks Samael is like sensing an opportunity to uh, take advantage of their distraction and, and attack them. Mm-hmm. And Robin kind of like grabs at him to stop him and Samael like shakes him off. And then everybody kind of just like calms, himself, calms themselves and pretends like nothing happened. And Lanfear resumes and says, Ishamael tried to control him and failed, tried to kill him in the end and failed. But Ishamael tried bullying and fear, and bullying does not work with Randall Thor. And Samael replies, Ishamael was more than half mad and less than half human. And Grendel replies that, you know, like, surely we're more than human. And Lanfear says, whatever we are, we can succeed where Ishamael failed. And says, if we can present the Dragon Reborn kneeling to the Great Lord on the Day of Return, why share that honor and the rewards further than need be? And perhaps he can even be used to, how did you put it, Samael? Whittle away the dead wood. And so essentially she's uh, saying we, we should plot together to get him under our control, let him attack the other folks, but don't kind of, you know, let's be kind of like a unified front working toward this shared goal of getting him uh, to the Great Lord on the Day of Return. Mm-hmm. And she does say that she suspects somebody is trying to control Rand, and she thinks perhaps it's uh, Magedian or Demondred, because Magedian loves to work in the shadows, and Demondred just hates Luz Theron. <laughs> so these four chosen in the room, Raven notes, are the ones who are kind of strategic, careful. They don't really move until they're sure of victory. So like of any of them, they're kind of likely to be the ones who could pull this off. And so as Lanfear continues talking, RJ writes, Grendel leaned forward, interested, and Samael began to nod as she went on. Raven reserved judgment. It might well work, and if not... If not, he saw several ways to shape events to his advantage. This might work out very well indeed. And that is the end of the prologue. Ooh. What, what, did he, what were your thoughts? I was so intrigued. I was like, where are we going to start off in this book? You know? Yeah. And it was so exciting to start off and see what's going on at the White Tower. Because that's mm-hmm. kind of like the last thing we were talking about in our wrap-up episode is that yes. what's the future for the White Tower and Aes Sedai. This kind of makes me feel like I'm I feel like I'm on the right track about what might happen at the White Tower. Uh-huh. I think this dissent among all the Aes Sedai who like voted Swan out just shows that not everyone is like oh, we're all about Elida. They're just more yeah. like, oh, we're all about power and, and uh, you know, doing our own thing, yeah. our own rules and that kind of thing. So I feel like there will be a fall of the White Tower in some way. 
Mm, okay. And yeah, I'm I'm very excited to see that Elijah's not quite as in control as she would like to be. Yes. I still Which, <laughs> Elijah not in control is a pretty dangerous combination. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And her uh who is it? Alvierin? Mm. Yes. I mean, she just seems like she's going to be way more dangerous than Elida. Yeah. So potentially, kind of curious how that plays out. Nervous. Mm. Yeah. And the switch to the Forsaken—that was a really cool yeah. part. Like, yeah. Just, what did you think of your first Forsaken point of view? It was exciting to see how they operate and how they kind of think. Um, yeah. Even just the little details about like we must be more than human. Well, what are we exactly like? The kind of unsureness of what they even are at this point mm-hmm. is kind of interesting to me because, you know, you think of the bad guys as, like, they're so powerful. We know they're so physically and, like, you know, with the one power so strong and have yes. so many capabilities and blah, blah, blah. But to see that they don't even really know fully what they even are mm-hmm. just kind of notes, like, oh, they're not, like, completely unstoppable they're not like completely all knowing. They're sort of, you know, they're their own entities with their own flaws as well. Yeah. And to see how we already learned earlier that they kind of all go for their own, even though they're all serving like the dark side, they all have their own selfish sort of uh, motivations and goals. Yes. But seeing the way they interact with one another and like really seeing how that plays out and how they're so willing to have a reaction that might <laughs> render the other one killed or something even uh, yeah. over a simple argument just shows, uh, you know, I think it's scary in one way to see them mm-hmm. like how like dangerous they are, but it also makes me feel like they're not as powerful as they seem because even among themselves, they have these like little, you know what I mean? Insecurities yes, that sure. they can play on. Yes. They're, um, all kind of power mad narcissists yeah. in a lot of ways, but uh, have for sure have like different triggers that upset them and uh, are, you know, even though they're all kind of coming together for whatever this plot is that we don't necessarily know what it is yet. Uh, you know, Robin is scheming to himself thinking like, you know, I might be able to turn this to my advantage in different ways, which you all of the other three must be also thinking the same thing. So even as they're scheming together, they're still scheming individually, which I liked. Yeah. Who was the um, Forsaken that we saw in a previous chapter when uh, Rand has the dream and Lanfear is in it and bites him? There's um, a male Forsaken that's with her there. Oh, that was Asmodian. Okay. All right. Just making sure. I'm 99% sure that's Asmodian because okay. he's kind of like blurry and uh, he's involved with her in that book so yeah. I've, I've always assumed it was asmodian okay yeah i was curious if it was asmodian or if it was one of these folks that's like more in so. on it than i know but okay cool and what are your thoughts on Padden fane being oh, in the right. tower i mean we knew that's where he was headed i'm surprised he's there yes. i'm surprised we started with him there already um yeah but yeah i mean I was thinking, like, oh, he's so close to the dagger. But then I was like, what does it even matter anymore if he has the dagger? Well, he is, he perceives it as his because remember, he sort of like merged with more death right. in Shadar Logoth. So it's, it's like part of him because it, that sort of like corruption vibe 
was part of the whole city. Yeah, like, I get why it's important to him and why he wants it, but for, like, the larger story, is there any more danger that anyone else is in for if he has it versus him not having it? I guess we'll see. That's my feeling. It's like, I, because the danger really was who has it and what it could do to them before. Mm -hmm. And, like, getting rid of it so Matt doesn't have it anymore. But Mm -hmm. I almost feel like... If he has it, you know, he's just got a knife. He's already yeah. out of control. Um, but, yeah, I think it's interesting seeing him, like, there and, like, already scheming and seeing where he can, like, fit himself in. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, and remember, he was, for a while, with Pedro Nile, the head of the White Cloaks. Mm-hmm. And um, he he is connected with Shadar Logoth and so he has that kind of corrupting influence and now he's in the tower true true so it'll be interesting to see what comes of that oh god okay so Elida the Aes Sedai uh Fane, the Forsaken do you have any suspicions of what their plot could be not really. I mean, okay. I know they're going to work together and they're all sneaky and conniving. So I feel like yeah. they're all going to be working toward. <laughs> but it's weird because I think the only one who wants Rand alive of them is Lanfear. Like, seemingly. The only one who wants him alive seems to be, who cares about it in that way, seems to be Lanfear. And if she's the one who's trying to come up with the plan, I imagine she's going to try to convince all the others of, like, why he should, you know, be caught and used to their benefit. But I feel like Mm -hmm. she's just going to try to, like, at that point, be like, all right, plan's off. Me and him are going to rule the the world together. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's all going to be a ruse anyway. So whatever their motivations are going to be, they're going to have to get to it first if they end up luring Rand. Yeah. But, I mean, Rand, the weakness that they all seem to have, if they have a weakness, is their connection to other people so if they're gonna get rand i feel like they're gonna have to Hmm. get elaine or Egwene or someone like that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. okay i don't know though more to come i guess more to come well my love language is podcast reviews and subscriptions so if you'd like to show us a little love please subscribe to our show and write a review Also, the best way for other people to find our podcast is through word of mouth. So tell a friend, post about us on Reddit, or find any other way to spread the word. Also, also, our social media is CoolStoryPod on Instagram and CoolStoryPod1 on Twitter. And you can email us at CoolStoryPod at gmail.com. Also, 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 (laughs) we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash nandmatt. And you get cool bonus episodes where we do things like review books and movies, play fun games like Would You Rather, so you should check it out. Subscribe. Also, 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 if you want, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Matt. Thank you so much for listening to Cool Story. (laughs) See you next week. Bye.